Hi, my name is Evan, and I use he, him pronouns. And my name is Ian, and I use they, them pronouns. And we are... The Baker Street Regulars, a podcast where we are taking a queer magnifying glass to the Sherlock Holmes canon and its many adaptations. Hey, 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 we got a new episode. Hey there, Evan. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm living life. Another week, another Sherlock to dissect and investigate, if you will. We we ourselves are Sherlock and Watsons. We're, you know, investigating yes. these Sherlocks and their mysteries. Do you think you're more of a Sherlock or more of a Watson? I'm more of a Watson. Watson. <laughs> you are the Sherlock. I am the Watson. <laughs> why, why do you think that? I think out of the two of us, you're the most observant when it comes to things. And I'm, I wouldn't say Watson's more emotional. But yeah, he's a little bit more emotional. Mm. than Sherlock, and I'm an emotional wreck, so <laughs> therefore, you know, we, we we balance each other out. Just like Sherlock and Watson. And I'm always wearing stupid hats and doing disguises. You know, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. We really need to cut down on your hats and costume budget for this show. <laughs> All the false mustaches I wear. Right. I show up to episodes and you think I'm somebody else the whole time. Every single time. Every guest we've had is just me. <laughs> Doing a voice. Every single one. Every single one. If you can't tell, we're stalling, because this week... Oh, no. Are we stalling? I think we're stalling. I think think we'll have stuff to talk about. Uh, As (laughs) promised, finally, this Mm. week we covered a Sherlock Holmes video game. Yes. We played the Frogwares game, Sherlock Holmes Chapter One. Mm -hmm. This is the third game in this series that I've played. Right. And I think you saw chunks of... The last one I played. Yes, I've, I've seen The Devil's Fight. The Devil's Daughter. One or the other. There's a devil in there. There is. The Devil's Daughter's Fight. Yeah. Uh, let me do a little, our fast facts, I think it, it'll tail in nicely to other things we're saying here. So this is part of a larger game series. This is technically the ninth game uh, mm-hmm. in the series. The first one came out in 2002. So it's been over 20 years that they've been producing these, although only um, this game and the one that comes after it are released primarily by the company Frogwares, but they've always been the company that produces them. They're a Ukrainian-based company. Okay. But this game came out in 2021 originally, and it is called Chapter One because it is a prequel to both Arthur Conan Doyle's stories and the canon established by the Frogwares video game. So it's set on an island called Cordona, which is fictional, and depicts a 21-year-old Sherlock solving his first couple cases. Hmm. So we'll get more into that, but that's the promise of the game. Reviews are mixed, mm-hmm. and then the, there was a game that follows this in the series which is called Sherlock Holmes The Awakened, which is a remake of a 2007 game that the company made that sees Sherlock and Watson facing Cthulhu-type monsters. Oh. Oh, and that game was released this year in April. Fun. So since I'd played two of the previous games in the series, Crimes and Punishment and The Devil's Daughter, and you saw a bit of them, mm-hmm. it's probably worth it to like describe a baseline of what these games have been like in the past. Yes. So from my understanding, from what you have told me, and from what I've witnessed, it is mostly Sherlock and Watson traveling to different 
points within London to solve a mystery that has been brought to him at 221B Baker Street, or in the case of The Devil's Daughter, it's kind of like little missions that also help solve an overarching mission. Yes, yeah, Devil's Daughter is interesting because there is an overarching story, but like this game, as we'll discuss, often you'll go do another case for a while and then get back to the main overarching story. Mm-hmm. It's not like everything is leading up to the same thing. Right. I think notably in those games, for each case, you move between a small number of fixed, closed locations. So you move from the rooms of 221B Baker Street to a small section of London Street or the inside of an apartment or a greenhouse or something like that. And those locations are, like, finite. And you find all the clues and talk to all the people there, and then you move on, usually. Although, I will say, one part in the last game, The Devil's Daughter, that I really enjoyed was the scene where they were on the London Street after, like, a bunch of buggy accidents. Mm-hmm. And, like, knocked down, like, some sort of electricity wire into yeah. water and stuff. So you, like, had to figure all that out. I thought that was cool, and it was probably, like, the most immersive part of the last game, I would say. Yeah. And this game, Chapter 1, deals with a lot of the same game mechanics of those earlier games, where you're... I see you making a face. Did it! Yeah, it it very much did. Where you're um, observing people to get a sense of who they are, where you're picking up clues in rooms, uh, where you're trying to figure out the sequence of events by moving around like ghost images of people doing things until they're in the right order, as well as some, like, mini-games to analyze chemicals. Yeah. Like, all those things exist in other games. The big thing that's different about Chapter 1 is that they saw which way the wind was blowing in the video game world and said, we're going to try to do a big open-world thing, which... I think before we start talking about the details, what we liked and what we didn't like, I think it would be helpful to kind of give a summary of the plot of this game? Yes. So, because of limited time, we only played through the main quests. Yes. We didn't play any of the side quests. Yeah, with an, with an open world, there's a lot more side quests that you could go on. Right. I don't think there were side quests in previous games, but there are other side quests. And I I do plan to return to them. And you maybe, completionist. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a, so much of a completionist, but I'm, I'm very much a, like... Uh, 99%ist. Okay. <laughs> I, just, I just get the game where I'm like, I feel like I've seen enough, and then I stop. You really say, fuck the 1%. Yeah, that's what that political idea <laughs> it's about is about. Video it's games. about video games. So, there are really only five major chapters in the story. With one of the chapters being... The overarching plot. The overarching plot narrative. Yeah. So, that storyline is called A Mother's Love. And it starts after the prologue and then finishes at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. But let's start at the beginning with the prologue, which is that Sherlock and his companion John, J-O-N, no H. No H, not John Watson. Right, some other John, have arrived in the island of Cardona Mm -hmm. and are staying at a hotel for the night because Sherlock has come to pay respects at the grave of his dead mother. Mm -hmm. And in their first night in the hotel... We have very much like how some games will put you in a confined area for the tutorial. Like yeah. Very, this is very much Tutorial Island. 
is, is the hotel where mm -hmm. we get rapidly introduced to the central mechanics of how to um, observe things to pick up clues and build character profiles. And there's this um, case involving a rich man, his wife, and a seance. Yes, exactly. A seance gone wrong. Yeah. And this section plays like the old games. It's a small-ish area. Mm -hmm. You're only really seeing a little bit of the hotel. And one thing that I noticed and pointed out to you was that John has not been animated to walk around. Mm -hmm. In fact, in this part of the game, the only person who can walk is Sherlock. Right. And everybody else only either walks in cutscenes or is, like, planted when you interact with them. Right. But John, because Sherlock doesn't move around a lot, can't stay planted, but he does this thing where he just shows up wherever you need to be mm -hmm. or wherever you are. So if you walk away from him and then interact with something, he'll when, when the cutscene ends, he'll just be there. Yeah. He'll be standing there already, which feels interesting because... It's not too dissimilar from the last game with Watson. Yeah. Very much so, because oftentimes those games sort of don't know what to do with Watson, and he just like stands at one side of the room mm -hmm. while you're doing things, and then you can walk over to him, and he says something not very useful. Or just to save like time and budgetary constraints, they just don't animate him walking. Right. There was a game in this series, which I have not played, but is sort of famous for having no animation of Watson walking, but having decided that he should still be sort of near Sherlock. So they did this thing where when you're not looking at him, they just teleport him to be close to you. <laughs> but there's this incredible thing you can do if you like watch him while like backing away and then turn, he'll just be like there all of a sudden. <laughs> it's hilarious. So I was like, oh, that's interesting that that's how they've chosen to solve the companion problem. Yeah. And that's not quite what it is. No. And we learn pretty early on. We'll actually get to that very soon. How do we learn? How do we learn? I, I, think, I think Sherlock tells us, in a way. In the Mind Palace. Yeah. Yeah, we learn very quickly. So, Sherlock it, has a Mind Palace. Oh, right. So... Which is where you can, like, put together all the clues and try to, like, deduce yeah. what the mystery is and figure it out and solve it. Yeah, this is also a mechanic that's in other games. When you have a case, you get points of data and you can connect them together... And then different ways you connect them leads to different conclusions. And that's how you solve cases, by mm -hmm. piecing together evidence. It, yeah, there's also a casebook where the evidence is collected. So fairly early in the game, in the casebook, a clue pops up labeled, My Imaginary Friend John. John has been my friend since childhood. I cannot remember a time without him. He cannot accept that only I can see him. Mm -hmm. And this thing where he just shows up in rooms just gets more extreme as the game goes on. Right. Especially once you realize that he's an imaginary friend, he'll often be doing, like, something silly. Like, what you walk into a room and he'll be, like, on the ceiling, or... You know, it was speaking of video games, it was giving me barely Herlock Sholmes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just appearing out of nowhere. Yes. In a corner. Yeah. Being a silly goose. Very much so. So, I guess before we get into anything else... The John in the room. What do you make of Sherlock's companion being imaginary? I didn't mind it. I wish he was more helpful. Like, there were certain points where he was, like, maybe giving slight clues, like, hey, you're not done here yet. But for the most part, 
he was just kind of there to be silly. Yeah, I think this gets into the question that we're always asking, which is like, what is the function of having the companion in these stories? Mm. Especially in a story like this, which is a video game where you're actually seeing everything from Sherlock's perspective, where you're actually just solving the case. It doesn't have to be explained to anybody. Like, I think one of the things that makes the Frogwares games a-canonical is that Sherlock doesn't need to explain everything that happens to Watson because... We're seeing it. Because we're seeing it. And, uh, you know, this is the value of, of the video game experience, is that we are solving the case. Yeah. You know? One of the things that I like about the Frogwares series is that they let you put the evidence together, and it's possible to just be wrong. Yeah. There's no railroad here that the game puts you on, especially in the older games. You can make a wrong choice, and the game just tells you that you're wrong. Yeah. Justice isn't served, you know? In this game, the cases are ambiguous enough that you could pick anything, and it's fine. Yeah. This game is playing with this larger idea about, like, the value of truth, which is, I don't know, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. But... Especially in a game like that, you know, what does a companion need to do except for be there? Right. And again, like, I didn't mind him all so much, especially because we had him in a very silly outfit for most of the game. Yeah. But I agree that I wish he was useful somehow. I wish that he helped you figure out what to do next, because this game, being the studio's first attempt at an open world, sometimes it's unclear what you need to do next. Yeah. So we get into the open world... We visit the grave of the mother. We meet a local artist named Werner Vogel, who puts us on the trail of the family mansion, which has been sitting in disrepair, Mm -hmm. where a lot of the interstitial stuff happens for the rest of the game. Right. Where we learn more about the overarching plot, but then because we're learning the overarching plot, we get introduced to, I guess, subplots? In a way? Yeah, cases. Yeah, the, the, the sub-cases. So the first case is called A Gilded Cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I think, were the person primarily playing for Gilded Cage. Can you synopsize that case? Yeah, so Gilded Cage, we learn about this case because every case is connected to the Holmes family in some way. Whether it is a friend of the Holmes, or a Holmes family, a friend of his mother, or a, every case in some way or capacity is connected. In Gilded Cage, this is a neighbor and friend of the Holmes that Holmes is like, let me go ask him what he knows about my mother and her death and all that, because I'm not sure her death was an accident or like, I'm not right. sure how she died and I really want to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. In this game, Mycroft is 10 years older than Sherlock yeah. and Sherlock has been told his whole life that his mother died of tuberculosis. Right. That's Mycroft's story, and he's beginning to doubt it while on the island, because Werner, at the graveside, indicates that there was a police investigation after her death. Right. And then that sets him off on the rest of his journey. So he's like, let me go to this neighbor and friend, see what he knows. Oh no, he's dead. He's been killed by an elephant. Of course. (laughs) Because he has an elephant, a pet elephant, that he's training in his backyard. So we have to figure out, one, how he died. Was it a murder? Did someone, like, cause the elephant to go insane? And also, the elephant runs away. So where's where's the elephant? <laughs> and we kind of go through this 
very long. Mm. I would say this is probably the longest case in the game. Mm -hmm. And the most parts, because there's at least three different suspects. We have the, the man's daughter. We have her lover, who, spoiler alert, is a woman. Uh, I don't know how we do spoiler alerts. It's a spoiler show. <laughs> but disguise, a woman disguising to be a man. Yes. We have... There's also an evil archaeologist. There's also an evil archaeologist looking for Pharaoh, looking for Mummy. I'm not entirely sure what he's looking for. I'm sort of unclear where Cordona is geographically also. I, I believe think it's in the Mediterranean. It's fairly multi-ethnic. So we have our three suspects and we kind of go interrogate each of them and... Travel around very slowly on this very large map to each person. This is where some of the downsides of the open world emerge. No, let me be very candid. <laughs> let me be very, very candid in this moment. I almost rage quit this game because I was so frustrated by it. Yeah. I, I think playing through Gilded Cage, we learned that we needed to have a walkthrough pulled up on a laptop or phone mm -hmm. to figure out where to go next from time to time. Yes. Also, like, in the very beginning of the game, you haven't learned to run yet. And I think you learn to run in the middle of this quest. You do. When you go to the police station, they teach you how to run. Yep. The way they do. Which, <laughs> which I was so grateful for because the walking speed is so slow. And the map is so open. The map is so big. And you have to go past so many landmarks and order to open fast travel. Yes, you can't fast travel places you haven't been, which makes sense, but it means that the first time you visit everywhere, you have to find it on the map. But as far as I know, this is the first time this company has done an open world. And it shows. Like, there's a lot of things that other open world games do to help you find your way around. Like, have a, a marker that shows up on your screen. or Tells you how far it is. Tells you how far it is, or have a mini-map on the screen, and you get none of that. So you're, you constantly have to, like, go into the menu and open up the map and then go back and tr try to look at the landmarks and then it t takes a while. The roads are named on the map, but none of the roads actually have like street signs. Right. It's just... It's pretty. I. It's very pretty. And I understand like this is probably their first time doing this. Yeah. But like if you see all these other games doing it... Yeah. Steal from them. In the words of RuPaul, you ain't gotta reinvent the wheel. And let us be clear... Sherlock is either running or walking. There is no, like, other transportation he can take. Mm -hmm. When he fast travels, we get, like, a glimpse of, like, there's these, like, carts that people pull him on. But other than that, like, we don't see it. Yeah. We don't see it happen. It yeah. just happens. Well, and also, like, as you pointed out, the carts are the logic by which we understand fast travel. Mm -hmm. already silly because it's not like time of day shifts or it matters how fast you get places. No. But you'd think if there was a system of carts for hire that they could get you to places you hadn't been before. Right. You could say, take me to this landmark or something. And use, like, the money that you get in this game mm -hmm. that you really hardly use for things. Oh, I spent all the money. Well, on, yeah. On, on outfits. <laughs> on silly little outfits, of yeah. course. But, like, you don't really use them that much. Well, yeah, because the thing is that if you've spent your money on other things, you can rent outfits for free. Yeah. So you don't need to keep track of it so much. Not the biggest deal. But, like, you could have, like, easily used that money to, like, mm -hmm. fast travel and, like, show him traveling through these streets. Like, it would have been cool to see 
like him on a horse or something. Give give me something. Yeah. The other new mechanic that this game introduces is combat. And this is when I totally like lost it. <laughs> because when you go to the police station, they teach you to run and they also teach you how to shoot and throw snuff at people. Yeah. Which seems like not something the police should be doing. No. And then that all becomes part of combat mechanics where you have like waves of enemies enter a, a like a warehouse room that you're in and you have to incapacitate them. I think you can shoot them to death, but it's much easier to incapacitate them because the you're game You're not supposed to shoot them to death. Right. The game kind of frowns that. Well, but also like the game auto targets the things that incapacitate them. It so does it's not. Well, but this is the thing is I don't know if they're trying to be accurate to what weapons of the time would have been like or something, but shooting a gun takes a long time. <laughs> you target, not for the enemies. I mean, it takes them a long time too. You target, you pull the trigger several times. Sometimes it goes off. Sometimes it doesn't go off and it's unclear if you did something wrong or if it's just very frustrating. And, you know, thankfully following the main quest, it only makes you do this maybe three times. Yeah. But sometimes it takes a while. Yeah. The first one is so long. It's so long. It's very repetitive. Very repetitive. Same bad guys every time. Yeah. There's always a knife guy. Knife guy and a gun one guy. One gun guy and a shotgun guy. I'm getting mad now just thinking about it. I guess we should be grateful that it's not more of the game. It only shows up once for that one segment. And like, in general, I think it's a good thing when games vary the mechanics I think, like, baseline, it's it's good when a, the gameplay doesn't get repetitive and using the same mechanic for the entire story. So, like, in that sense, I think it's, like, a good attempt. But the implementation leaves something to be desired. Because, on the other hand, I think games are their mechanics, and these mechanics yeah. are terrible. Yeah. I, I have two thoughts. If you're going to use these mechanics, like, make them actual, actually, like, workable. Yeah. Because I think the problem that I had, especially with shooting the gun, was I felt like every time I was pressing the wrong buttons. Mm -hmm. It felt like very random, like, okay, we'll make it work now. Instead of like, oh. Right. And then the other thing, like, I don't know. I don't think of Sherlock as the shooting guns guy. Not at all. I mean, the, the thing is, this is probably a good time to get into this, but this depiction of Sherlock is very affected by other depictions of Sherlock. I found out doing research for this that the 3D models in later games, or later games chronologically, earlier games in the series, are based on the Jeremy Brett and David Burke versions of the characters, Mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense. But in the games that I've played, which are post-BBC Sherlock, there's a very strong influence from BBC Sherlock, from the later BBC Sherlock. This is references the video game. Yeah, yeah, it's it's nonstop. I mean, we already mentioned they have a mind palace, which comes from BBC Sherlock. Right. There's a lot of like little references, like yeah. at the hotel, the bartender says he has something called Benedict's Batch, which seems like a reference to Benedict Cumberbatch. There's a painting that's depicted in the BBC series that Sherlock proves is false that is hanging on the wall in the hotel, and you could walk up to it. Sherlock would be like, "This is a fake." The little costumes also have, like, little references and little jokes as well. Yes, that's true. Like, there's so many little details, like, as a fan 
you'd be like, oh, that's funny. But because I haven't watched it yet, I was like, this is weird. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of, like, there's direct quotes uh, at some points. Right. And then, like, like character details. Like, Mycroft, before we meet him, is represented in the house uh, by an umbrella, mm. which is an iconic part of how his character is introduced in the BBC series. But it just feels like an odd homage, perhaps. And yet, this Sherlock is definitely not Benedict Cumberbatch. No. This Sherlock is, like, the onceler from the Lorax. Yes. Every Tumblr girl's, like, <laughs> dream come true. Yeah. Yes. The second video game Sherlock in a row that is kind of a Tumblr sexy man, he's got this, like, crazy steampunk waistcoat thing Oh, my God, on. yeah. I don't know what that outfit is supposed to be. I'm not sure what era he's supposed to be from, but it's wild. It's insane. It's, yeah. This game is insane. How does the Gilded Cage story wrap up? So, and maybe this is another issue with the mechanics. It kind of doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you can wrap it up either the archaeologist is the villain, or the lover is the villain, or the daughter's the villain. But it's kind of a matter of opinion. Yeah, like, it's all up to, like, what the player is feeling. Mm -hmm. Because the real answer is that the elephant... Did the murder. The elephant did the murder. And, and the question is, what provoked the elephant to do yeah. the murder? Was it... I, I think in our playing, we made the archaeologist yes. the murderer. Although, in retrospect, it probably should have been... The lover. The lover. Yeah. I, this idea will come back. But the depiction of the lover is... At first, we were like, ooh, an interesting like queer moment. Because the daughter of the killed elephant owner... Mm-hmm. Is like I'm in love with this this person, and like father doesn't approve. Yeah, right. And then we meet the person. We're like, oh, this is a woman disguised as a man. Yeah. But then she's like, oh, I'm disguised as a man to trick that woman. And we're like, uh... and and what's worse, I'm also disguised as a man to do better at sports. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like a transphobic talking point. Uh, this is getting a negative five in the in the oh yeah rating. Although, I can't wait to rate that. Although like a backwards transphobic talking point, <laughs> like usually it's the other way around that transphobes think men are pretending to be women to do better at female sports to have a competitive advantage. This is the exact opposite. It's so much worse. It's yeah bizarre. So we'll we'll have to hit on this idea of the treatment of queer people in this game. A couple more times. Oh, yeah. Also, the game has a complicated relationship to depictions of race also that I feel less qualified to critique. Yes. But other people have critiqued it. But yeah, so Gilded Cage ends. We figure out Elephant was provoked. Mm-hmm. By who? Could be anyone. You decide. Yeah. It's like an R.L. Stein, like, you decide where to go. <laughs> yeah. Type novel. But then we get, like, the next clue in the overarching narrative Go back to the house. It's a little repetitive. It's like, okay, you finish the case, go back to the house, open another door, go into the room, find clues in here. Yeah. Oh, this person has maybe some connection, some revelation about this. Let's go to them.
So what happens this time is that a man dressed as a sailor shows up in the house. Ahoy, sailor. Knocking. Uh, with an invitation for Sherlock to come to Werner Vogel's art gallery. Oh, Werner. Oh, Werner. Werner Vogel. We haven't really described Werner Vogel, but he... He's like... If, if anyone has seen the movie The Phantom of the Paradise and knows, like, the villain, like, the Faustian, like, devil villain in that film, that's basically Werner Vogel. Yeah, he has bad vibes. Bad He's vibes, bad hair. Sort of got a Swedish Mikkelsen thing going on. He has these really bizarre glasses, and he just says the most pretentious stuff constantly. <laughs> but you go to his art gallery, and... The next mystery. The next mystery begins, which is called The Muse from Abroad. Mm -hmm. This is where we get some of the questionable racial depictions. It's a locked room mystery at first. Werner says that somehow someone got into the locked vault of his art gallery and torched a number of his paintings. The more salacious and more like not for the public eye works are down in the basement. Yes, yeah. I think all the paintings that were tortured by the same artist, Boniface Mercurio. Yes. But when Sherlock goes and investigates, he determines how the person got in and vandalized the paintings, but also determines that one of the paintings was stolen mm -hmm. and that the vandalism is covering up that this painting was stolen. Mm -hmm. And to synopsize, the painting stolen depicts through metaphor the real rape of a immigrant refugee who's living on the island with a refugee camp mm -hmm. by a wealthy British envoy. This event was photographed, and then the artist depicted it via metaphor in his painting. Someone is trying to silence this truth. And Sherlock tracks down the artist, who is dead. There's always one corpse in every case. When in doubt, there's a corpse. When in doubt, there's a corpse. Sometimes two. In these games, there's only one kind of mystery, and it's murder mysteries. Right. Even when you think it's something else, it's always a murder mystery. <laughs> it's always blood. There's always blood. Which is interesting because I don't think that's the case of of the Sherlock, certainly, yeah. but of the rest of the series. So it's interesting that in this game, there always has to be a body. But of course, like a murdered person raises stakes as a reason that so many like CSI shows you know, are the same way. I guess. So... The painter has died. Eventually, you track down both the British envoy and the... Refugee. And the refugee, and eventually the smuggler who now has the painting. And actually, the decision you have to make at the end of the case is not about serving justice, mm -hmm. but is about doing the most good. Because right. arguably, the envoy is the guilty party for committing the rape. Painter was blackmailing him. The smuggler obviously also smuggled and held the party in the first place. So it's all very complicated. But both the envoy and the smuggler make offers to Sherlock in exchange for the photograph, which he is in possession of. And the choice that you get to make as Sherlock is to give the picture to Werner to publish it or to publish a story about it in the newspaper to expose the men and bring everybody to justice, to give the picture to the smuggler who will use his uh, wealth to provide for the injured woman, or to give the picture to the envoy who, who will use his political clout to 
repatriate all of the refugees. Mm-hmm. But no special treatment for the woman. Which actually is like a Sherlock problem. Like I think we've seen some examples in the mm-hmm. canon of Sherlock caring more about whether his own sense of justice is served than about whether justice is served in the legal sense. Right. Devil's foot. Devil's foot. So we chose to give the photograph to the smuggler to repatriate the refugees. Part of me really wanted to be a chaos gremlin and give it to Vernon. Put it in the paper. Yeah. But arguably it's like the morally wrong thing to do. Like, Like nobody ends up better because of that. That's fair. This is actually what I like about this game, because I think when the game is at its best, it's asking you to engage in these kind of difficult moral questions Mm -hmm. that don't have right answers. There's no, like, if you do this, then you get the good ending. If you do this, then you get the bad ending. You have to make a choice. Right. That is complicated. And I appreciate the game for that, because I appreciate narrative complexity. Mm. Yeah. Did you like that element of it, or did you wish it was more cut and dry? I think I wish it was a little more cut and dry. Because ultimately, it didn't matter for the main plot. And I kind of wish it did. Like, oh, you... I, I kind of wish this game had the balls to be like, no, you got this wrong. You don't get to progress forward until you make it right. Mm, interesting. I think it would have been a little more frustrating. Yeah. But maybe, like, in a better gameplay, in a better, like... I think I know what you're saying, which is that the choice is interesting in a vacuum, but it's sort of robbed of being really interesting because there's no consequence. Yeah, there's no consequences to any of the choices that you make. You get the information that you need to continue the overarching storyline no matter what. Yeah. And then you kind of just forget about these other cases. Like, these other cases are kind of... Yeah, there's actually no weight to the choice. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. And I kind of wish there were. I I would honestly say that the first prologue case had the most weight to it and actually felt the most satisfying in the choices to me. Just because, like, sure, it didn't have any, like, consequences to the game, for sure. But, like, it was also at the point where we didn't have the overarching story. So I kind of maybe, like, naively hoped that that choice at the beginning would have consequences. Which choice? Letting the seance guy go, who was Mm. clearly the murderer. Yes. But because he was already on the run from the police and, like, this would have been, like, the end. And he had, like, regret for what he did. Mm -hmm. We had made the choice to be, like, windows open. I'm going to look away. Right. And again, naively, I thought, like, oh, this will have consequences. Right, he'll show up later in the game or... Or, Or, like... We're just, like, not going to be trusted as much. I don't, like, Yeah, I don't someone know. will throw it back in our face at some yeah. point, maybe. Yeah, but nothing was ever thrown back in our face. I think there was maybe one line in the final case that we got that was, like, maybe a couple lines where it was, like, oh, okay, sure. That's, that's the choice. Great. Can we move on? <laughs> yeah. So that ends that case. We've started to learn more during the pieces between about what's been happening with uh, our mother, or what happened with her mother around right. her death. Right. Uh, we find out that she had some sort of mental disorder that yes. she was seeking treatment that she was seeking treatment for. And that um, the doctor that was at the house and was giving the treatment may not have been the best doctor. 
there were arguments with him arguments between with him, him and Mycroft. Definitely. And yeah. maybe not like doing the treatment for positive purposes and maybe like just for his own like scientific research research goals. Yeah. This is our second Mycroft in a row that is like asshole Mycroft after Miss Holmes. Right. I hope we'll have a chance soon to look at an Arthur Conan Doyle story where he shows up just to prove how much of a non-entity he is. Um, I mean, he kind of almost felt like a non-entity in this game. Like, he threatened, like, I'll send you back to London. Right. But there's really, again, no con- there's no consequences in this game. There's just no consequences. Yep. And I wish there were. Just a boy and his imaginary friend off to see the world. Which is great if you're Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> it's very much Calvin and Hobbes rules. But, like, if you're Sherlock, and you're doing, like, this real world in quotations... Yeah. There are consequences. I think that's what I like about, like, a lot of the stories, or even, like, adaptations of the stories. Sometimes there are consequences to Mm -hmm. Sherlock. Also, what do we think that Sherlock having an imaginary friend at the age of 21 does to the character? Oh, I don't think it does much to the character. I... I think it's interesting for Sherlock to have an imaginary friend. It's, I think it makes sense. It's very lonely, you know. I mean, well, later we learn that John, with no H, the imaginary friend, is uh, like a trauma response mm-hmm. to the situations around his mother's illness that he, you know, he made up someone who could help shield him from the worst effects of that time. And this story is very much his healing journey from that but you know also it suggests that he's had a lonely decade or more where he didn't make any real friends that he could replace his imaginary friend with but i also think that is just something of the character in itself i have always imagined sherlock pre-john watson to be a very lonely person yeah yeah and i think that's true Although we don't know much. We don't know much, but just based off of the interactions that we get and his demeanor and how he acts, either in the books or even in, like, adaptations, I'm not surprised that he would be a lonely person. And maybe I'm just speaking from my experience. When you're lonely, you kind of have a little bit of a fantastic imagination, I would say. I feel like I spent a lot of the first half of the game trying to figure out the relationship between John and Sherlock, especially Mm -hmm. before I knew that he was an imaginary friend, because there are times that Sherlock references him as being a brother figure Mm -hmm. in some sense. Like, Mycroft is 10 years older than him in this version, so he doesn't have a brother his own age. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure if that was, like, literally a brother or figuratively a brother. Yeah. There is a certain amount of queer something going on like they clearly have a very close bond um which makes sense once we find the context that that they are the same person in some some way or facets of the same personality Mm -hmm. but that doesn't change the fact that like the way it's depicted is these like two grown men who are very near and affectionate to each other Mm. who i don't think i understand as being literal brothers in any sense no so that degree of queer homosociality is preserved 
I think it's interesting to think of that as being like fundamental to a Sherlock Holmes story. But what's interesting in this is that most adaptations of the Sherlock Holmes stories don't give Watson much of an arc. No. Because he's like the everyman, the audience insert, you know. But in this story, because of the premise, there is an arc to how John is used. We'll get back to that. We still have one more case before we get to the ending of the story. Yeah. So the last case is... And by far my favorite case. Also the shortest. That's why. (laughs) One of the reasons. It's called The Sacrificial Lamb. Mm -hmm. It's a sex cult. It's a sex cult. Werner Vogel invites you to a sex cult party. Mm -hmm. Um, Very eyes wide shut. There's masks. You know, it's... The yeah. whole nine yards. Yeah, all the all of the wealthy people of the island have come to have a crazy sex party. And also there's been a murder. Sex, drugs, and murder. So, ambiguously, a male prostitute has been murdered on a sacrificial altar. Mm-hmm. And once you've done your basic investigation of the crime scene, the police show up and arrest everybody. And then the rest of the cases you interviewing all of the suspects in jail cells and then deciding who is the guilty party. It's it's fairly short. Which is very nice. Which is very nice. And there's something that feels very classic about it of, like, getting back to the basics. Like It, it felt the most Holmesian to me. Right. It's just about asking the right questions and trying to piece together what happened. And there's so much less of this, like, I need to shoot people and I need to solve a puzzle. And, you know, like, there's no chemical analysis it feels very classic to this series. Mm-hmm. It feels like the books in a more real way. It felt more true to what I want in a Sherlock Holmes video game. Yes. But the way that that case resolves is that... So, so we have, again, three prime suspects. Yes. We have the leader of the sex cult, the owner of the mansion. Kurt Manchus? Yeah, the leader of the sex cult. Queer. Mm-hmm. A queer man. Yes. Who is putting on makeup to make him... He is a 60-year-old queer man who's putting on makeup to make him seem a little bit younger. With the implication being that he's doing that so that he can sleep with younger men. Yes. Second suspect is this man's nephew, who is kind of the main servant of the house, I guess. Yeah. He's described as, like, the... What's the official... Oh, they keep calling him Major Domo. Yeah, the Major Domo of the house, if you will, who is angry that he is not in the will. And then the last suspect is the lover of our murdered victim, who... Matista. Matista, who is also a prostitute, a former slave. Formerly enslaved person. Yes. Working in the employ of... Manchus. Right. And who's also an occultist. She believes she has powers. And according to the game guide you're looking at, it doesn't actually matter who you accuse. Yeah. Which which is interesting because it also means that all the evidence is fairly speculative. Right. It depends on how Sherlock decides to interpret the events. And I think we decided that the most reasonable... The one that made the most sense... Right. Was that... Manchus killed the dead man, whose name is Fabio, in a fit of passion. Yeah. Because he was rejected. Yeah. 
just an older man rejected by a younger man deciding <sighs> to murder him. Because you know how the gays are, <sighs> how it's violent and always ends in death. Uh, so, I mean, like, we, this is... This we is, did decide this. We did decide that. We did it, but the other options were worse, actually. Yeah. I mean, maybe not for queer rap, but the other options were worse, like, emotionally. Like, he's kind of, like, not a great guy. Okay. It, it just feels like, in a story that has the potential for so much queer subtext, almost the only queer text we get is... Villain. Vilified. Is vilified is, like, like conflated with evil and passion and rage and violence, you know. And the the other example that we get is that Werner Vogel is at least implied to be bisexual, but it feels much more like, oh, he's hedonistic, he takes all of life's pleasures, he does drugs and he drinks, and of course he sleeps with men and women because he just does everything, you know. Right. And that's, like, not a positive thing either. It's not a, like, empowering right. depiction. It's just, like, maybe he does too much. It's, it's the stereotype. Yeah, it's a stereotype. Yeah. So, that's the cases that aren't the main case. And yeah. that's the queer rep for the, sh- for the story. And that's where we get the final piece of the puzzle to finish the mom storyline. Mm-hmm. So, the, the final piece of the puzzle is we go to the backyard, the garden behind the house, and we relive the... The final day. The final day. The way that the case resolves is that earlier in the day, Sherlock's mother, Violet, was having some sort of... Episode. Episode. And John, the imaginary friend, suggested that Sherlock give her some of her, like, tablets to help her calm down. Mm. Which was probably too high of a dosage. Which caused... Right, which causes her later in the day to freak out and attack Sherlock and attack Sherlock and attempt to drown him Mm -hmm. where Sherlock later wakes to see her lying on the ground bleeding from the neck Mm -hmm. and we are to assume based on the available evidence that the doctor pulled her away from Sherlock Mm -hmm. at which point she began to have an anaphylactic uh, episode from the medication and that he attempted to perform a tracheotomy on her throat to introduce more oxygen to her system, but that she either died as a result of that or died as a result of the medication. Again, ambiguous. Very unclear. Very unclear. Mycroft comes in at the very end. <laughs> yeah, Mycroft's there now. And again, the player has to interpret what it all means. And the options are basically, it's Sherlock's fault that his mother died because he gave her the drug that she overdosed on. Mm-hmm. It's John's fault for telling Sherlock to give her the medication. Mm-hmm. Or it's the doctor's fault either for slitting her throat unnecessarily or for, or for performing the tracheotomy. And, like, this is a very complicated set of circumstances. I went and read a Reddit thread about people talking about this ending. Okay. Just to get a sense of, like, what the other options look like and what people chose and how they feel about it. Like, theoretically, the doctor is in some ways at fault because his course of medication wasn't healing her. Although that could be more because of the error than anything else. 
Yeah. Theoretically, Sherlock is at fault for giving her the medication. What you could also argue that John is Sherlock, and therefore anything that John does is also Sherlock's fault. Yeah. We didn't choose that option. We chose that John was at fault for convincing Sherlock to give her the medication, and that, in some sense, John killed Sherlock's mother, Violet. Yeah. Because I think we thought it would be the most dramatically satisfying. I Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, because... So here's the other thing that was happening during the entire game. As each clue involving the mystery of the mother was coming up and, like, we were solving it, John was getting more... Hurt by it? Hurt by it, aggravated by it, and also seemingly to, like... To not want Sherlock to continue. And I guess in the other endings, Sherlock thanks John for their time together and says that he doesn't need him anymore, Mm -hmm. which is nice. Yeah. In our ending, he shoots him. Metaphorically? Metaphorically. Mycroft is also there, which makes it odd. Like, Mycroft just has to watch his brother shoot the air, presumably, and assume that it's part of the healing process. Mycroft seems to be like, this is normal and fine and you're good now. (laughs) Instead of being like, in Miss Holmes, like, actually, you should probably see somebody (laughs) about this. There's no perfect ending to this game. Like, uh, talking about every single ending and what, like, solving the, the mystery. Yeah. There's no answer that feels correct. Yeah. I don't want, like, even though I know the game is over, I don't want... Sherlock to have to live with the fact that he killed his mother, but the doctor ending seems sort of unsatisfying. Apparently also if he decides that he killed his mother, he gets exiled from the island. Okay. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I'm feel fairly happy with the choice you made because I, I also feel like, you know, I was like, this sets him up for, for where he is when the story catches back up with him, which is that he doesn't have this imaginary friend anymore and that he's right. like living this other life. And in fact, that's how the game ends is we sort of speed through his college years. And then we, <laughs> we see his first meeting with John Watson. John Watson. And the scene ends on John saying his name for the first time. And you're all going, John, John, Literally written in the captions with a question mark and an exclamation mark. <laughs> and I knew that was coming. I, yeah. like, I, yeah. I was like, God, this is, this is going to be a moment. <laughs> it's, he also is like, it's the same character model as Imaginary Friend John. Yes. But with a mustache. Yes. And what does that tell us about the Watson-Holmes relationship? <laughs> that like, we're supposed to see Watson as continuing this bizarre relationship that he had with his like almost brother best friend homosocial <laughs> wisecracking like and, and like, what does it say about his mental state as well yeah even talking about it now like i feel a little gross in a way <laughs> right it feels in some ways it feels like it like reduces the power of the watson sherlock friendship to be like oh not only was it precedented but, like, Sherlock was just looking for someone to fill this gap where he's like, ah, I used to have an imaginary friend who <laughs> helped me with my cases by standing near me and wisecracking. 
maybe you could do that because you have the same first name. <laughs> but also, like, even from a mental health standpoint, like, there's so many other, like, video games and films that, like, portray mental health in, like, such a non... I don't... I wouldn't even say this is negative, but, like, just yucky I would say this way. is negative. Like, I mean, Sherlock's mother has mental health issues that are so bad that she almost kills her son. And it's implied that Sherlock having mental health issues is part of that genetic lineage. Mm-hmm. And part of his mental health issues is that he's been consistently imagining the same, to be clear, fairly hunky guy. They're both hunky. Like... <laughs> Different ways. But, like, John has got that, like, square jaw. The, the, the muscles. The muscles. Yeah as his constant companion for at least a decade. So, yeah. That's... <laughs> that's Sherlock Holmes Chapter 1. It was a time. It was this, a time. This was just not good. Let me rephrase that. I think it had great qualities. Like, the second half of the game, I really started warming up to and really enjoying. But ultimately, as a whole, mm-hmm. this game is not... Great. And I think that the Frogwares games have always been a little, uh, like, slow-paced and, like, not the most thrilling. And I just think that with this one, they bit off more than they could chew. And I think they maybe went away from some of their strengths, you know? Mm-hmm. I like that there are right and wrong answers to the cases in the old games. Mm-hmm. I think I missed that here. And I, I like the simplicity of just, like, you're in a room, look at all the clues, and then go to the next room. I applaud them for trying something new. That's true. I applaud them for trying to expand what they're trying to do with this series. Mm-hmm. I bet this was difficult, trying to figure it out and navigate it. Mm-hmm. And I applaud them for attempting it and giving it a good try. Well, and also... For continuing to do so during the war. Yeah. <laughs> because the the game came out for PlayStation 5 and a number of other consoles before the war broke out. But then the ports to other platforms were delayed. The PlayStation 4 version that we played came out, I think, over a year later than it was supposed to. But it did come out, which means that, that during a war in their country, the developers have continued to work which is sort of incredible. Yeah. And I've enjoyed this game series for years. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is my favorite entry in it, but like I said, I enjoyed it enough to like want to go back and do the side quest. That's fair. And I hope that they keep making them. Yeah. I hope there's a future for this company and for the country of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. One thing that I want to talk about in terms of the game is that we were looking at this as an origin story for Sherlock. And because it's his chapter one. Right. And I think the thing that I was missing as an origin story is like an origin. Yeah. <laughs> because basically from the beginning, the like deductive powers are kind of fully formed. Yeah. There, There's no like him finding his footing as a detective uh, at one point. He isn't sure how to interact with somebody and says that he's not good at it yet. Spoiler, you're not going to get good at it. <laughs> That's true. He's, As time goes by. He's never a people person, is he? You're just going to get 
maybe worse, right. actually. Except for Watson. But I, I wish there was more of an arc about him realizing that he enjoys solving this sort of puzzle or that he enjoys helping people or, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Yeah, this felt like an already developed Holmes. And also because he ends up sort of allied with the police department, it feels more like he's on his way to becoming a police detective than he is to becoming a private, private detective. Invest- yeah. Detective. So that there feels like a missed opportunity there in terms of like what an origin for a Sherlock is. And I don't know if we'll get more of that out of uh, young Sherlock Holmes when we cover it next year or not. Yeah. But I hope so. I hope so. So let's jump into our rating system. It's been a while since we've rated anything. It has. So as a refresh, we rate adaptations on five points. Loyalty to source material, grade of mystery, Britishness, total enjoyment, Mm -hmm. and queer subtext. Yes. Or LGBTQ. Each quality is out of five. So starting with loyalty to source material out of five points, how loyal is this Sherlock? I would say a three and a half. I was going to go right in the middle and say three. Okay. I think there are some qualities that are pretty loyal. Mm-hmm. Even though we were just talking about the like police constable version of Sherlock a little bit. It really isn't so bad. No. He's doing a lot of the things Sherlock does. One of the things that I appreciated about this is that, like, a lot of the game is spent, like, going to City Hall or the newspaper to look through archives. Right. And, like, that mechanic is particularly annoying in the game because of how it's designed. But it does reflect the thinking man Sherlock and not the action man Sherlock. Right. And it gives us the insight to what he's doing when he's not like with Watson in the books or in other adaptations where he's like, Oh, I just went out for a moment. Right. I figured out this whole thing. I also like that, that it's necessary to still include a companion that we have John. Yeah. That that's somehow part of Sherlock, that it wouldn't be Sherlock if he didn't have some, some other guy with him all the time. Right. He needs a boyfriend. And But then there's just some, like, wild flights of fantasy. Like, what is this island that Sherlock's family lived on? And yeah. The history of mental illness. And there's a lot of things that aren't textual. I, I could go three on this. I think the first half is why I'm, like, 3.5. Because it's close to going, like, in the upper echelon. But it's, like, not... Th- those other things are what hold it back. So I'm, I'm willing to go with three. Okay. Grade of mystery. We got a couple mysteries. We do. Some of them are mysterious. Some of them are a little silly. That's, I guess that's typical to the Arthur Conan Doyle canon. Yeah, I thought there was good variety. Which I like. We had like some serious. Mm-hmm. And then we have a silly one. And with an elephant. Yes. And I also appreciate that they are mysterious. Yeah. That even though sometimes you get there before the characters do... There's enough intrigue and details that things go a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. I think like the flow of information is nice that you get new information as you go along. Yeah, and like we've seen a lot of movies fail to do that. I think it's more necessary here where the player is more directly solving the mysteries. Right, but I think it's handled well. Yeah, I could go four or five. I can go four. Four. Yeah. What's holding you back from a five? You know, here's the thing. Yeah, I enjoyed the mysteries. Hmm. I think because there were so many parts of them, 
Yeah. It's why I can't say a five. Mm-hmm. Especially, especially the elephant one. Like, so many of those parts could have easily went to the last one. Yeah. To make it a more balanced game. Yeah. Like, it felt like we had two big mysteries, and then, like, this last one, eh. And then the last one's your favorite one. And the last one's my favorite. Because the, the first one felt pad over time, like... Yeah. But I think there's yeah. a happy middle. Like, mm-hmm. if all of them had, like, similar similar time, I, I would be able to give it a five. But because, like, there's so much variety in how long and, like, how much you have to do for them, mm-hmm. I'm like, they feel unbalanced a little bit. I'm willing to meet you at a four. Okay. Britishness. Okay. Colonialism. It's yeah, the colonialism feels British. <laughs> the characters are all British. We're on this colony island. I'm not gonna lie, with some of the outfits and just like I kinda forgot like they're they were supposed to be British and I was getting like more ragtime vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not not big points in Britishness. No. Uh, another four? I would say a three. A honestly. three in Britishness? Yeah. Yeah, it really wasn't that British. there yeah. yeah. Yeah, you could you could forget it was British. I'll meet you at the three. Total enjoyment. Is it a two? One. One? I give it a one. There are things about it that I enjoyed. When I was playing, I felt engaged throughout. The first half yeah. really messed me up so much. Yeah. And, like, again, some behind the scenes... After we played the first half, I was like, I don't know if I want to continue with this. Right. And we did have to, like, follow along with a guide to be able to, like, do it in a way that was fast and easy and fun. Yeah. For the rest of it. And even then, like, I was slightly annoyed that we had to use a walkthrough because, like, the game could not properly tell us what to do next. Yeah. They expect you to be Sherlock Holmes. They expect you to be Sherlock Holmes, and I'm a Watson. Right. I'm just here to... Drink tea and make quippy one-liners. I think it's a minimum two for me. So should we compromise it at one and a half? Yeah. Okay. Queer subtext. <laughs> oh. oh. So this isn't about queer text. This is just about queer subtext. Um, no, I mean, I think I think we have to talk about queer text. We talk about queer subtext. There are queer characters. But they're all the but they're bad guys. All awful, yeah. We didn't talk about Werner Vogel very much, but he, he sort of a like big villain reveal about him at the end. Or Sherlock said, "You've been pulling the strings in the start. You, which has been so, you've been trying to so manipulate me. Yeah, we didn't need that. It was one of the ten epilogues. There were seventeen epilogues. Yeah. in this game, and uh, and then the like, the queer subtext of it all really comes down to the Sherlock John relationship. Which was nice. Which was nice, but just nothing much happens. He just is in rooms when you're in rooms for most of the game. I, I think it gets big points off for negative depictions of queer people. Definitely. I, I think we're going in the negatives, this one. You think it's a negative? I think it's a negative because ultimately it is depicting queer people in the worst way possible, vilifying yeah. them and kind of making them the monsters that we are seeing in like yeah many conservative lights yeah i think that's balanced out a little bit by the way that they make sherlock you know uninterested in women and having this like close male relationship i'd be willing to go zero on it 
Just even zero, not negative, not positive, nothing. Yeah, okay. I, I'll, I'll, meet, I'll meet you in the middle. So that gives us a total score of 11.5. Is it the lowest scoring? It's not the lowest scoring. Really? Yep. It's, Is Murder by Decree still the lowest? Yeah, it's better than Murder by Decree. Holy shit. <laughs> so, next week we're looking at two more of Arthur Conan Doyle's short stories. Mm-hmm. And the week after that, we are back on track now that the strike has ended. Yes. And we are watching two parodies of the Holmes stories. I'm very excited about this one. Sherlock Holmes' smarter brother, and without a clue... So one of those films features Michael Caine and Ben Kingsley as the detective duo, and the other features... Willy Wonka. Gene Wilder and Marty Feldman. Ah. And... Madeline Kahn. And Madeline Kahn. Basically, it's the (laughs) Young Frankenstein reunion. Totally. So both of those should be a lot of fun, and we'll look forward to all of that. We've been your Baker Street regulars. And we'll see you next week.